together and I'm excited about that. And so we're going to be looking at what it means to draw closer to Jesus and how do we draw close to him in these days that we're living in. And I don't know about you, but I want to draw so close to, to Jesus in my life. And um, so it says in, in James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The New Living Translation in James chapter four, verse eight says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. That is a heavenly invitation for each and every single one of us, that God is inviting us to come close to him. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, there was uh, there was requirements and restrictions where people couldn't approach God in a close way like we can today. Uh, you think of Moses when he went up the mountain, the, the Israelites were told to stay at the foot of the mountain and said they could come no further, could come so far, but no further. Even Moses himself, when, the, when he was by the burning bush, God said to him, take off your sandals for it's holy ground, but you can come no closer. And we think of the high priest when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year. It was allowed and permitted in. But even then there was restrictions and requirements. But now through the blood of Jesus and Jesus' death on the cross for us, that he died for us. He's made access and made a way where we can all come close to God. That's why when he died on the cross, we, we have that the, the, in the Bible, it tells it talks of how the, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That's God making the statement that heaven is open, that the throne is open, that we can come to God, that there, there is access available to us. And I think that's, that's wonderful news that we can approach a living God. We can come before him with boldness, with confidence. We can come to the throne of God and we can find that grace and mercy in the time of need. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, there's an accessibility to God and we can draw near. And it goes further than that, because not only can we draw near to God, but the scriptures tell us that God will draw near to us. To think that God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the God who is the everlasting God, the God who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The God of full, full of compassion and love, who is full of mercy and his peace is, is without understanding. His peace is perfect in every way. The God who is with the fullness of joy. As we come to him, he comes to us and he brings that with him, his character, his nature. So we come near to his love. The God that, that gave his only son into the world because he loved this world so much. His love approaches us. His peace approaches us. His divine perfection approaches us. His holiness, his goodness all that God is, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. I'm sure, like, like me today, that you'd want to know God more. You'd want to draw near to his goodness and his peace and his love and his kindness in your life too, to draw near to God. So this morning, want to look at what does it mean to draw near to God? I love the, 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 the New Testament, how it gives us so many different pictures of, of those who were, were desperate to be, when they heard Jesus was in town and they, they wanted to be near Jesus, you know, whether that be to, because they needed a healing or they wanted to hear something from Jesus. And they pressed through, it says they pressed through the crowd, they pressed through situations. Sometimes in life, you know, although God has removed all the restrictions from us, he's made a way for us to come near to him. I still believe that, that we can place restrictions on our own life where we can hinder ourselves from coming close to God. And in James chapter four, when we read of, of James, James speaks these, these, these wonderful words draw near to God, but also in, in the midst of some strong, hard words that he speaks to the, the people there in the church at the time. 
because they were they were they were caught in two camps. They they loved they 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 wanted to to know God, but at the same time they loved the world. They loved themselves. They lived for themselves, and there was fighting and arguments between them, and they were not knowing the fullness of God, which they could know in their life, because they were caught up with the worldly worldly things, worldly attitudes, and and sometimes you know in our own life. You know, that, that can be the restraint, restraint on us, the, the, the worldly lifestyle around us to love the things of this world more than we can love God. And it says in James chapter four and verse eight, the second part of that in the New Living Translation, it says. Humble yourself. So it says, let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of gloom and instead of joy. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up and honor. It talks of humility that we can humbly come before God. Just the verse before then, it says that our loyalty is divided between God and the world. That your loyalty is divided, verse 8, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You know, sometimes we can have live a divided life. We want God, but at the same time, we still love the things of this world, the pleasure of this world. And it's not always that the things of this world are bad for us, but some of the things in this world are bad for us. And that they can be, have a negative impact on our walk with God, and they can actually pull us away from God. If we love things in this world more than we love God, then that's a serious problem. It's an issue that we have. It will affect our relationship and us knowing the nearness of God in our lives. You know, maybe we need to ask that question. Is there things in my life that I tend to give more attention to than I do God? Is it affecting the things in my life? Am I giving uh, less attention to God because of certain things in my life? Is it affecting my relationship with God? James would even go further to say that friendship with the world is, is actually putting us at and making us an en enemy with God. So by living in, in a worldly lifestyle and living for the things of this world and the pleasure and the lifestyle of this world, it actually it becomes and sets us up. We are making ourselves an enemy with God. So there can't be those two things. We either desire God, and that will mean sometimes that we will forsake the things of the world for the things of God, that we desire him much more than we would desire, uh, desire the things of this world. So it can be a restraint on us. Imagine like a, a big rubber band around your waist and you're trying to get to God. And yet at the other end of that rubber band is, is the things that are restraining you and holding you back. It may be the things of this world and the love of this world and the pleasures of this world that are pulling you back. And maybe we need to stop and analyze our life and think, are there things restraining me in my relationship with God? Because God wants that closeness. He's jealous, God. And a righteous jealousy is not, not a jealous that is that is a, a, an evil jealousy, but a righteous jealousy because we are his children. We belong to him. He has every right to demand our, our love and our worship and our attention that should go to him because he's that God and he loves us. And when we're giving it towards something else, we, we, are, we are setting ourselves apart from God because he loves us. Maybe those things are pulling us back from knowing God and we need to analyze that. But maybe there are other things in our life that are pulling us away from God. Maybe people, maybe situations and circumstances that we need to look at are these things where we need to be drawing near to God, particularly in this day that we're living in. Now, as I, as I said earlier about the people in the Bible that press through the crowds, and sometimes there can be people that can get in the way that can try and hinder us from getting closer to God. And we've got to press through those times and press through to get closer to, to Jesus. There was those with, with sicknesses and diseases and, and leprosy who were told that they couldn't come near anybody. And yet they still cried out for Jesus to come when they heard Jesus was there to come near them. And Jesus in his mercy and grace came near. What about the little children? You know, when they came, I could just imagine if you have children, you know what it's like where the, the children will 
begin to they can they can begin to pull at your hand or they can pull at your clothes or they begin to play with your hair just imagine jesus while he was teaching these children coming up to him and begin to uh, maybe play with his hair or begin to grab his hand or pull at his his tassels on his garment and uh, and just as they gathered around him and laughing and joking and and jesus you know he liked that and as the disciples said you know try to pull him away hang on a minute you know children just come away let jesus finish teaching we can see you later no he he said let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of god and it was teaching us that that actually we need to come with with that that sincerity that honesty of heart as the children did you know coming with that honesty as we are before god knowing that he loves us and he cares for us and he desires us he made us to be not like anybody else but who we are that we can come before him in John chapter four, it says that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means that we're to come before him in genuineness of heart, that we're to be real before God. God sees right past all the, the outward appearance and whatever we may we may look like, whatever we may appear to be, he sees the heart and he wants that reality of our hearts to come near him, not just an external appearance that we look like we're coming near God or we look like we are we are we are, we are godly people, but God sees our hearts, our hearts would generally desire to be near God. So sometimes we mustn't allow people or situations to to hinder us from drawing near to God. But also sometimes we can allow the words that we hear, even the words of Jesus himself, and we don't always like what the scripture is saying and the, and the things that Jesus teaches, it can become a, a hindrance and, and we can, and by not accepting what Jesus says, it can draw us away from God. We need to accept the entire counsel of God, the entire word of God, so it can change our lives and make us more like him. We read in John chapter six, and when Jesus, he fed the, fed the 5,000, and then he gathered the, the crowd together, began to teach with the crowd. And the disciples were with him in this crowd. And while he was teaching, he said some hard things, some hard truths to the people. And then he saw that the people, they were being to complain among themselves. And, and you know, sometimes we, we can we can hear a word and we can think, well, I don't like what's being said right now. It, it affects me. It, it offends me. And Jesus turned to them and he said, does these things I say, does it offend you? Are you offended by what I'm saying right now? And, you know, sometimes when Jesus speaks truth into our life, it can make us feel uncomfortable. And it's important that we don't come with a, to, to listen to God's word like we do with the television set, where if we don't like something, we just switch it over. You know, and sometimes we can come to God's word with an attitude. We want to be entertained. We wanted to be made to laugh. We wanted, you know, to, 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 to please us, want to feel good after we've heard the word of God. And God's word isn't always the case of making us feel good. It's about setting us free. That's why Jesus said, you know, he said in, in John chapter, John chapter eight, verse 31, it says, and Jesus said to those who believe, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You see, if we abide in his word, if we receive his word, if we accept his word, we shall know the truth and it'll bring freedom. See, God's word is about bringing freedom to our life. So being that sword that 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 will cut through the, the marrow and the spirit, it will deal with the fleshly nature, the old carnal nature, and make us more like Jesus. It will show us the things in our life that are wrong and not right, that are affecting us and having a, a negative impact on our life. God wants us to make us a better people, free us through his word, liberate us through his word. But sometimes we'll mean that we'll hear things that we don't always want to hear. And like these disciples that Jesus began to speak to, some of them, it said one by one, they began to just walk away. They, they began to leave. They didn't like what they were hearing and they left. It said that they deserted him. They drew away from Jesus. This is Jesus. And yet the crowd, 
that so easily they were fed by him, they were ministered to by him, and now they were hearing things that they, they didn't want to accept. It wasn't that they didn't understand. The Greek is literally they didn't accept what he was saying. No, we need to accept God's word in his entirety. And sometimes that means we would hear things that we don't always want to hear, but nonetheless we know we need to hear it. And Jesus turned to his disciples, and what does he say? He said, will you leave me too? Do you too want to go? And sometimes we'll have that temptation and tendency that we will want to leave. But Jesus, they say, and I love what Peter said, Peter's words are just, I just love these words. He says, Jesus, Lord, where will we go? To whom will we go? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? And I think when we come to that realization, actually, there is nothing in this world. There may be things that we, we find pleasure in, with things that we enjoy, but actually it will not give us life. Jesus said in John chapter eight, sorry, six, he said, my words are spirit and life. So when we come to Jesus and we come before him, his words will bring, bring life and spirit into us. They will bring, and like Peter said, where we can, we can ask, we go, you have the words of eternal life. If we want to know life in this, then we need to sit and accept the words of Jesus, the words that we do like and sometimes the words that we don't always uh, want to hear because those words will bring freedom and life to us. And in doing so, it draws us closer to Jesus as we abide in his words. We know the freedom and the life that Jesus has to bring. You know what's interesting? Among Peter and the disciples that were there that remained there, there was also Judas. And if we know about Judas, we see that Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus. And it's interesting that none of the disciples knew that, G that Judas was going to betray Jesus. In the three years they walked with, with Jesus, they had no idea it was Judas. Not until we come to the Last Supper, as they're sitting around the supper together and they're, they're fellowshipping together. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. They said, who is it, Lord? Who is it going to betray you? Some of them thought, is it us, Lord? They didn't know it was Judas. You see, one, the point I'm making is this, is that Judas was there with Jesus. He appeared with Jesus with the words that he said and his actions that he displayed appeared to be one who followed Jesus, yet his heart was still far from Jesus. You see, we can draw near to Jesus with our lips, with the words that we say. We can draw near to Jesus with our actions, with what we do, yet our hearts can still be far away from Jesus. And that's why it says of Judas that he was one who was influenced by the devil. That, that is it. That's why he was betrayed. He was one who listened to the devil. He was deceived by the devil. And that's why it says in James chapter four, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Judas's heart was not fully submitted to God. And because his heart wasn't submitted to God, he wasn't able to resist the devil. Therefore, his life was was impacted and influenced by the devil in his life. That's why it's so important. As James says, we must submit our lives fully to God, surrender our lives to him. And that means sometimes and often it will mean that we will have to let go of things in the, in the world, things that may have a stronger hold on us that we love more than we love God. I always remember my dad telling me that um, when he became a Christian, that that he, he, was, he, he would drink a lot and, and he realized two weeks after becoming a Christian that he hadn't had a drink, that God totally set him free from alcohol. But nonetheless, he continued to smoke. And, and one day God challenged him and he said to him, Jimmy, do you love, the, love me more than you love these cigarettes? And, and my dad had to say, yes, Lord, I love you more. And he packed in the cigarettes because of his demonstration of his love for God. That's just one example. It may be many other areas in life that God may be speaking to you about, that your love for, for him becomes much greater. And the areas in our life, it might not be smoke, it might be something else in your life. 
but we need to hear God and we can swear we can demonstrate, God, I love you more. This has got a hold of my life and I want to be living for you. What are those areas in our life that are holding us back, restraining us from knowing Jesus more? You know, don't just have an outward appearance, but your heart be fully surrendered to Jesus because we love him and we adore him. We approach him with humility, with submission of heart. That's what it is to be humble, is to surrender, say, Jesus, it's you I need. There's nowhere else I can go. There's nowhere else in this world. You've got the words of eternal life. You're the one who can save me. You're the one who can set me free. I want to finally just bring us to the words of Asaph in Psalm 73. Asaph, I just love this man. He was a he was a he's a worship leader. He was a musician. He loved to express his love for God through song. And the Psalm seventy three is a song. But within this, he demonstrates his frustration in this that he said he's so frustrated. He's asking these questions: Why is it God that the that, that the wicked seem to prosper and the godly seem to suffer? And he got caught himself in this spiral where his his mind and his and he's trying to understand and work out why these things happen in the world and and then and through that attitude it was allowing doubt to come into his heart allowing bitterness and frustration to come into his heart and life and sometimes we can be our own worst enemy when we begin to question things that we we sometimes we just have to leave and trust in the hands of god some things we do not always understand but then it says in verse 17 of psalm 73 it says then Asaph says, then I went to your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Then I went to sanctuary. In other words, then I came close to you, God. Then I realized I need to come before you. I can't work this thing out. Why this is. And it's when he came to God, he got that revelation and he got the peace of God. And he said, then I understood the destiny of the wicked. In other words, he realized that actually, as he began to think about people, they may be enjoying the pleasures and, and being, being receiving the, 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 the things of this life and enjoying all around them and being but what may seem to be earthly blessed on this, on this earth with riches and, and physical things. But he saw at the end, they saw their destiny, that they didn't know God. And as a result, that their, their destiny was, was leaving them to, to slipping in the moment. As it says, my destiny is slipping away towards a cliff of destruction instantly destroyed, completely swept away by the terrors. You know, the reality is there are many people who don't know Jesus. They're, they're away from God. They're not drawing near to him. They're drawing away from him and they're slipping. They may be enjoying life. They may think my, their life is all okay, but the reality is their life is slipping towards what Jesus talked about in the scriptures, not what I say, what he said, that they talked about there's a hell and there's, a, there's an eternal uh, damnation for those who reject Jesus Christ in their life. And Jesus doesn't want that for any one of us, but he wants us to draw close to him. He makes it available for us to draw to him and close to him. Psalms, uh, Asaph goes to, on to say, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. Now, James wanted the church to realize that, that what they were doing, being, being away from God, that they were able to come before him, that they were to, as he said, wash your hands and talks about in the Bible, tearing our garments and coming to that place of recognizing that we're torn up inside without God. That's a true place of, of repentance of our lives, of recognizing our need of God, that we're lost without him, that, that we have nothing without him. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing in this world. And when we realize that with our lives, that everything we need is in Jesus Christ and that if we hold on to this stuff, it's just going to tear us apart. And if we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness and the frustrations and blaming others and angry with others, it would just tear us apart as it did Asaph. But then he said, he said in verse 25, but whom in heaven have I but you? I desire you more than anything 
else. I wonder if you can say that today. Do you desire God more than anything else? Whom have we in heaven but you? See, his thoughts were not on the earth. They were on heaven. In whatever goes on in our life on earth right now, when you have a faith in Jesus Christ, you know that he saved you for eternity. He saved you and he has a place for you. He's preparing a place for you. You know that he's coming again. And we have that day we can look forward to where Jesus Christ is coming again for his church. And we can rejoice in that day. We used to sing that song, didn't we? Soon and very soon we're going to see, see the king. And we'd sing with joy because of excitement that we're going to see Jesus again one day. We can know him on earth by his spirit, but one day we shall be with him. And that's the joy we have no matter what we face on earth. It's all temporal. It's all momentary. Nothing in comparison to what we will experience in, in, in the eternality of the glories of heaven that we can look forward to. And Asaph had that revelation. He drew near to God because he saw heaven be, be, before him. He saw the destiny before him. He saw his destiny. And I love his words. Verse 26. And it's a New Living Translation. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak. Verse 26. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. God, you're everything to me. Your words are eternal life. That those who desert him will perish, for you will destroy those who abandon you. But verse 28, but as for me, how good it is to be near to God. Can you say that this morning? As for me, how good it is to be near to God. I've made the sovereign God my shelter. I will tell everyone about the wonderful things he does. How good it is to be near to God. You know, the, Jesus had his disciples, didn't he? He had the, the crowds that he spoke to and the Beatitudes. You think about that when he spoke to the crowd and he taught them. And then Jesus had the, the 70 that he sent out and that ministered. And then he had his 12, which were a bit closer, that he would follow him, that he would teach, that he would eat with, he would dine with, that he would fellowship with. They would, it would reveal some, some things to him that he didn't re reveal to the 70. But then we read it had those three. There's Peter, James and John. And they saw things about Jesus that nobody else did. It was them that were with Jesus on the Mount, um, on, on the Mount of Olives when Jesus was, was battling with, the, with, the, with, the, with the, the, the torment of knowing that he was going to the cross where he was there and he was crying out to God and with the sweat drops of blood and he cried for them to, to stay with him and pray with him. It was them that was there with them then. But up, as they went up the mountain, that Mount Transfiguration, but Jesus revealed his glory to, to them. You know, Jesus, I want to be like those three who were with Jesus, where Jesus was revealing himself to him. And that's how close I want to be to Jesus. And that's a decision that we, we can all make in our life. How close do you want to be to Jesus? Because if you come close to him, his promise is he will come close to you. So as we come and we get ready to come around to the communion together this morning, I want us to reflect on the words that I've shared with you today, that God has removed every barrier of sin so you and I can be close to him. The only restraints that we have are the ones that we allow in our lives. And that can be dealt with as we humbly come before him. As we recognize that we need him. There's nowhere else to go. And that God wants to speak his eternal words of life to you. And there may be words that we may not want to hear, but we need to respond and say, yes, Jesus. And not just be like Judas who are there with, with words and, and actions, but from the depth of our heart, that our hearts are fully surrendered to him. So, yes, Jesus, it's you that I want. And in this time that we're in, this time of, of lockdown, let's use this time really just to draw closer to our Saviour, the one who loves us and died for us, is coming back for us again. So I just want to take time now as we come around communion together for us to humble ourselves before God. So, Father, I want to thank you for, for dying for me on the cross, for sending your son, 
that you went, you left heaven's glory and came and lived on this earth. You took that step. You drew close to us on earth. And Lord, you wait for us to draw close to you so you can come even closer. And Lord, we want to know the fullness of Jesus in our life. We want to know the fullness of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to come before you now and say, Lord, forgive us. Help us to humbly come before you and we surrender everything to you again. We surrender our lives. And Father, if there are things in our life, Lord, that we have, we have, we have we've held on to that have been a barrier or a hindrance to you, the things that you speak to us about in our lives, Lord, that you want us to give up and surrender, then Lord, we want to say yes, Lord, to you. We want to submit to you. And as we do, we're resisting the enemy and he will no longer have a hold on us. He will no longer pull us back. But Lord, we release forward and excel forward and propel forward closer to you and to your might and to your wonder and to your majesty. So I pray, Father, for every one of us now as we come around communion together, that you draw us closer and closer to you, that would know you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. His body, which is broken for each and every single one of us. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you for your blood that was shed. And Lord, we say, Lord, as you shed your blood for us, Lord, that we want to live our lives for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.